Okay, so we're talking about forgiveness. And um, a few weeks ago, when um, Flick emailed me to say, um, since I was talking about the hospital anyway, this evening, would I like to talk as well? Um, I said, yeah, probably. And she said, it's on forgiveness. And I thought that's really helpful because I've been getting into kind of podcasts recently. And one of the podcasts that I've been listening to is one by Rob Bell. It's called The Robcast. I'd recommend it if you want a good 20-minute podcast to listen to. But usually he puts a podcast up each Monday for 20 minutes. But on this week, he'd done one every single day of the week. And the reason why was he was talking on forgiveness. So he did five weekdays instead of just one on forgiveness. And really the reason is, is because forgiveness, there's so many angles to it. It affects all parts of our lives, our relationships with each other, with God, with ourselves. Um, And so there's a lot to say. So we're not going to say everything today, but I'm hoping as we go through, there will be little bits that as individuals and together we'll be able to pull out um, and will resonate with us. And the way that I am um, thinking of doing that is basically scattered throughout the congregation. There are three envelopes, and in those envelopes are three different questions. And those questions are kind of pretty general about life. Um, But I think that's because forgiveness is a big topic that kind of spreads into those key issues about life. As well as it just being a big big issue, as you might expect... It's all through the Bible. So sometimes when you have to do a sermon, it's quite hard to pick a certain passage or a certain verse. Where if you get something like forgiveness, you could pretty much go anywhere in the Bible. And there'd be loads about forgiveness or what happens when you don't forgive. Or stories about people trying to get revenge. Or people carrying forgiveness. Or how God forgives us of our sins. Jesus says loads of his teachings, loads of his parables are about forgiveness. So we've just picked one today. So to start us off, who here has question number one in their envelope? Michael. I literally put them in envelopes to make it more exciting. I even know what's in there and I'm excited. Okay, shout it out. Do you want to be free? We'll, we'll leave it on that. Yes, job done. We'll leave it on that slide for a minute and think about this first question. There's this... Um, very famous prayer in the Gospels that Jesus says. You probably know it. It's called as the Lord's Prayer. Um, And some people came to Jesus and basically said, teach us how to pray and how to pray like you. And in the first century, when you went up to a rabbi like Jesus and you say, teach us how to pray, basically the rabbi's response teaches you what is central to their worldview. Then they weren't just teaching you some nice words to say in the right order. They're teaching you what they think is most important about life and most central because prayer is talking to God about the things that are most important. So you've probably heard um, most of it. Um, It starts off, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth now as it is in heaven. And then the next three lines, which are kind of most key for us to start off. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And what's interesting 
for what we're talking about tonight is that people who have really studied this and scholars who have looked at it and people who have looked at it in all the contexts, they point out some interesting things about these three lines. The first line, give us today our daily bread, isn't just talking about bread, it's talking about getting it today. The prayer doesn't say, give me two weeks worth of bread, give me a year's worth of bread. It's grounded in the here and now, And its meaning isn't just about bread. Basically, the line is saying, give me everything I need for today, fully here. And then the line that follows that is, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Which again, these people who study it in depth say, that's about the past. Forgive us our sins, all the things we've done wrong, all the people we've hurt, all the ways we messed up, all the ways we've been selfish and have caused destruction. Forgive us our sins and also help us forgive others so we don't carry that bitterness and regret. And then the line after that, lead us into temptation and deliver us from evil, is about the future. So you've got living in today and then you've got Save us from regret and from bitterness about the past and save us from fear and anxiety about the future. So at the heart of this prayer, one of the things it's talking about is how to live fully here in today with no excess fear or anxiety about the future or no excess bitterness or regret about the past. And that's central to forgiveness. Quite a famous quote, I have no idea where it originally came from, is forgiveness is setting someone free, then realizing it is you. Forgiveness is setting someone free, and then realizing it is you. That's central to forgiveness. Do you want to be free? Now, One of the problems is when we hear stuff like that, we say, yes, it's all nice, but the things that have maybe happened to us, and there'd be all these different stories among us about hurts and reasons that maybe things are hard to forgive or have been hard to forgive. Um, We say, yeah, but because of this thing that happened or how it was, it's really hard. But also it's important to remember with forgiveness that there's lots of things that forgiveness are not. Um... If you're a victim of domestic violence, you can forgive that person, but that person still has to be arrested. There still might have to be boundaries that are put in place. Does that make sense? Some people are toxic and have toxic behavior, and you putting boundaries in place um, is different to you forgiving them in your own heart and your own mind. Um, restoration is not the same as forgiveness. In the best and the most healthy and equal relationships, sometimes forgiveness is possible. You know, like when maybe you've hurt a close friend to yourself, and when they point it out to you, you think about it, and then you're like, do you know what, I'm really sorry, I can't believe I said that thing. It was so dumb. And then they say to you, it's fine, don't worry about it. It's in the past now. There's sometimes when it's forgive and forget, and restoration It's possible, but there's some times where restoration isn't right. And the person might say to you, I thought you were supposed to forgive me. Things are supposed to go back to how they were. And actually, sometimes things can't go back to how they were. 
Forgiveness is different to that. And forgiveness is different to consequences as well. Sometimes someone has done something bad or we have done something bad or damaging and that will have consequences maybe for months, years, our whole lives to come. But forgiveness is not the same as there being no consequences. Revenge, which we don't really have time to talk about today, but revenge essentially is keeping things in circulation. Like someone has... um, given you the box of this hurt or this insult that they've done to you, this disrespect, and they give it to you, and instead of forgiveness, which is when you send it away, never to see it again, it's not going to be part of your life, thanks very much. Forgiveness is where you hand it straight back to them, but maybe this time you put a bit more dynamite in or a bit more poison, and then they get it, and they add a bit more dynamite and pass it back to you. And it goes back and forth, often increasing in the damage it causes. It's worth saying as well at the beginning that forgiveness is often a process. It's not always instant. So it might be that today, as you think this through as an individual, there might be something that has happened to you or something that you know of that is so big that maybe you feel like, well, I can't fully forgive them, but maybe... Um, the first step for you is thinking, uh, I'm just not going to think about different ways to kill that person anymore. (laughs) And that might actually be a massive leap. One of the things, one of the other um, topics, we're talking about um, the nine fruits of the Spirit. What do we call them? Habits, the nine oasis habits, which are basically the fruit of the Spirit. Another one is patience. God is patient. And so if that first step is that you're not going to feel Um, negative about that person every day, that could be a massive step forward. We take any progress we can get. Okay, so that's a bit of an introduction. Now we have question number two. Who's the lucky person with question number two? And you got it. Open it up. I feel like we're on some contestant quiz show. What have you won? It's the Bahamas trip. No, it's a question. Okay, shout it out. Question number two I've picked is, do you know you've forgiven and loved? If we go to the um, next slide. So having a think about, can we go to the, to the slide? Um, the story that Terry read us, this is obviously an artist's impression of the woman weeping at Jesus' feet and anointing them with perfume. So in that story, um, Jesus is invited by these Pharisees who are religious leaders who have a lot of influence politically, socially, and um, religiously. They invite Jesus over for a meal, which sounds very nice to them, but actually if you look at it in all the context of what's happened before, they're thinking Jesus is really dodgy, he's hanging with all the wrong people, he's healing the wrong people at the wrong time, inviting the wrong people along, saying the wrong things about God's love and his acceptance, and they want to keep a really close eye on him. So this Pharisee, Simon, invites him along. And um, like in any culture, we have customs about how we welcome people, So, for example, if um, you were to come to my flat, um, there would be things that you would probably expect. So when you came to the door, you'd probably expect to be greeted cheerfully and say, hello, how are you doing? Nice to see you. 
Um, maybe you'd expect me to say, can I take your coat? Then maybe you'd expect me to say, oh, can I get you a glass of water or a tea or a coffee? Um, and maybe I'd have to switch off the TV to make you feel welcome and respected in my home. It's the same in any culture, it's just the things slightly change. And so in Jesus' culture at that time, one of the things you did, because people, they didn't have cars and buses and stuff, so they would travel nearly always on foot, and so their feet would get really dusty. So one of the things you could do in, and Jesus' society, by the way, was very big on hospitality, much bigger than we are generally as well. So you'd invite someone in, take off their, they can take off their sandals, then you, maybe your servant, would wash their feet, dry them, and anoint them. You'd give them a kiss of welcome. These were signs to say that you respect the person. They're saying, welcome, come on in. It's good to have you here. What we notice in the story, and halfway through, Jesus points it out, is Simon does none of these things. Which basically in that society, in that culture, is Simon totally disrespecting Jesus and publicly humiliating him. That everyone would have read it that way and would have known that they have just totally publicly um, kind of humiliated Jesus. And then you get this woman who's known as a sinful woman, someone who's done the wrong things, someone who's had the wrong past, someone who is from the wrong place perhaps, someone who was born at the wrong time to the wrong people. And she basically has heard Jesus's message about the kingdom of God. A really good exercise if you want a bit of homework over the next couple of days. Just read at least a couple of chapters that build up to this story. And you'll see the, the message that she would have seen and heard. And basically in Jesus' message was that God loves everybody. Which means God loves sinners unconditionally. And God's forgiveness is for absolutely everybody. And so this woman who was told she was sinful, she was the wrong person, she was the wrong kind of person, all the things she'd done defined her. She hears Jesus' message about God's unconditional love and forgiveness. And she's so grateful, she's just transformed by it. And so she goes along to the house to see Jesus and to show her appreciation. We're told that she's brought this jar of perfume. As a sign of generosity, she was going to anoint Jesus with a sign of respect and generosity. But her shock and horror, she sees that Simon, who's this upstanding religious person, doesn't even welcome Jesus into his house and public humiliates him. And it so upsets her that she starts to cry. That's actually what most of the, the scholars say. If you look at the context and the time, it isn't that she's crying because she's begging for forgiveness, because we can kind of tell that she's already received that forgiveness. She might have cried back then, but, but now, at this point in time, she's most probably crying because of the disrespect that this person who has transformed her life with his message and with his actions is being shown. The disrespect and just the general unwelcome and the putting down. And so she cries And as she cries, she says, well, Jesus, his feet haven't been washed, so I'm going to wash his feet. I'm crying. So she goes up to his feet. He's reclining. The feet are the only bit that's really available to her. And she cries on his feet. And then she takes off her headscarf and uses her hair to wipe the feet, which is a massive no-no. In fact, in most Middle Eastern countries, as a woman, 
you don't uncover your hair in that culture. It's just seen as totally unacceptable and totally outrageous. But at this moment, she doesn't care, and it's because of she's showing the vulnerability and the connection to Jesus. And even though people think it's outrageous, Jesus gets what's really going on. And then she kisses his feet, like Jesus hasn't been kissed on the cheek. She kisses his feet, which is humility and welcome, and pours, pours the perfume on. And then Jesus tells that parable, doesn't he, about the two people. Both of them have debts that they can't pay back to the king. The king is a metaphor for God. You might have picked that up. And none of them can pay it back. One owes 50, one owes 500. So the king says, neither of you can pay me back. You're forgiven. The debt is paid. We'll speak no more of it. And then he says to Simon, okay, which person is going to forgive? Which person is going to love the king more? And Simon says, because he has to, it's obvious. I guess the person who had the biggest debt forgiven. And then Jesus says, he who loves, he, he who has been, or the person that's been forgiven greatly loves greatly. And the person that's been forgiven little loves little. So the woman knows that she's being loved and forgiven by God, but Simon doesn't. There's this um, famous verse in the New Testament that written by Paul to some of the first Christians, and he says, why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which, among other things, really means that um, when we were all sinners and messed up and insecure and didn't have it all together, Christ still laid down his life for us all. God still showed his love. Perhaps it's kind of like a snorkel. If you say the next slide. And a snorkel... No trick questions here. What is a snorkel for? Breathing underwater. So it helps you breathe in oxygen underwater. But what else does a snorkel do? Say that again. You can see underwater. I hadn't thought of that metaphor. But as well as breathing in, what are you doing? Breathing out. If you just breathe in, you're going to pass out and sink. So it also helps you breathe out. Um, there's this bit where uh, Jesus says things like, if you don't forgive others, then God will not forgive you. Jesus said that. Which sounds like, what? what's Jesus talking about? This isn't like him. He's saying it's all conditional. You've got to be, you know, kind of measured on how you forgive others to make God forgive you. But it seems like more what Jesus is saying is kind of like the snorkel effect. It's all connected. In order to give love and forgiveness out to those around you, you need full lungs. You need to have breathed it in, first of all. Jesus says other things like, um, don't judge people. The measure that you use to others will be measured to you. And in this story, Jesus, the woman, is breathing in God's forgiveness and his love unconditional, and so she can breathe it out. And Simon can't. Um, I remember my mum telling me about when she became a Christian, she was about 35. And one of the first things that she did when she said, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life, is she contacted loads of people. Um, 
that she thought she had wronged in the past, and she just thought, I'm going to have to say sorry for some things I've done before. And so she called up different people. Um, some, she, she even told me about how she called her brother, uh, who's younger than her, and said, I'm really sorry, because when you were like 12, I was really mean to you and kind of bullied you. And he was like, I don't even remember. <laughs> but she had. And then as well as that, she contacted some people who had hurt her. Um, a couple people in particular who had really hurt her. One of them being her, her ex-husband. And wrote him a letter and said, I want you to know that I forgive you. And that was, I think my mum at the time, I don't think she really knew any Bible verses and stuff. But it was just this, um, the love and forgiveness she received from God. She just knew that she had to breathe it out and be free. That leads us on to our final question. Who's got number three? Marianne. Fantastic. Do you want to open that up and then maybe give it to Michael to read out? Oh, you got it. Very nicely read. Brilliant. Thanks, Marianne. Do you want to be the kind of person who brings healing and life to others? It's interesting in the story because Simon, um, he thinks he's so much better than the woman. He thinks he's better than Jesus because he's religious. He looks the right kind of way. He hangs with the right kind of people. He can quote the right Bible verses. He can um, do and be seen in the right religious places. But it doesn't take a genius to see what he's really like when you look at the story. He's disrespectful. He's rude. He's unwelcoming. He's judgmental. He's proud. He's bitter. He's narrow-minded. And then you look at the woman who has this sinful past and this broken past, and you see how she starts acting. She's humble. She's respectful. She's servant-hearted. She's encouraging. She's generous. And she has a heart for justice and what's right. There's this um, quote that Jesus says. It's one of my favorite Jesus quotes almost. Because it's just such kind of to-the-point wisdom. And it's, you can tell a tree by its fruit. Quite a simple metaphor, basically. He says... A bad tree, an unhealthy tree, cannot produce good fruit, and a healthy tree cannot produce bad fruit. You tell a tree by its fruit. And Simon, even though he's got this reputation and he thinks he's all sorted and he's really good and all the rest of it, his fruit is stinky, it's sour. Jesus is calling it out. And the woman is the one being transformed, and her fruit is getting better and better and more and more life-giving. One more thing about forgiveness. So several years ago, before working in the hub here with the hospital, I had a job in a pupil referral unit. Um, and that is basically when um, a teenager gets expelled from school and they've been expelled so many times and no schools, mainstream schools would take them on, they might go to a center or a pupil referral unit um, to have the rest of their education. So I used to work in one of these, and in this job, I had to work one-to-one with a few different young people. And I remember um, one of the ones I had, he was one of the youngest in the center, and his name was Luke. Sorry if you're listening to this, Luke, I don't think you are. 
but he's, he was 12 years old at the time, and um, he was really hard work. Uh, he was actually harder than some of the older ones who were into crime and all the rest of it, because he was just so energetic, and he would, if he flipped or didn't want to do something, he would literally scratch you, I got spat on, got bitten, got kicked. <laughs> it was a fun job. And um, there was one morning when he was just so bad the whole morning. And I remember we'd like me and this other um, support staff had prepared all this great activities we thought for him. And he had just like ripped it off the wall, spat at me, kicked me. So it got to about midday. Most of the school day was gone. And I just felt totally fed up. I felt really angry. Because you're not supposed to spit or kick them back. It's really difficult. It's crazy. So I was just outside. And he had shut himself in the one-to-one room, which is like a little broom cupboard, like a lot of these centers have, which really doesn't help with no window or oxygen. And, um, but I was standing outside, and he had shut himself in. And I was like, well, there's still two and a half hours of the school day left. Um, he's just being a nightmare, but probably to move on, I'm just going to have to forgive him and see if he can start again. So I calm myself down. I knock on his door and I say, he opens it and his little face looks up at me like he's just ready to gouge my eyes out or something. And uh, I say, Luke, we have had, let's be honest, a really bad morning And I haven't had a good time, and I think probably you haven't either. But I want you to know I forgive you, and we can just start again and have a much better afternoon. And he looks up at me with his little evil hamster face. Not evil, he's he's a good kid. And he says to me, I don't want your forgiveness. And then he shuts himself in his room again. And that's basically the day done. I had some better days with Luke as well. But... It kind of shows that um, with forgiveness, even though we've been saying it's about setting us free, one of the things we've got to realize as well is forgiveness won't necessarily be accepted and it won't necessarily be replicated by someone else. The only person that you have control over is yourself and the only person I have control over is myself. Restoration, as we said earlier, might not always be possible. It might not be accepted. It might not be replicated. The kind, same kind of forgiveness and respect might not be given back to us. That's just part of it. But forgiveness does open up the door, not just for you to be free, but for other people to be free as well. I want to just finish up, and after this we're going to a time of reflection, because I think there's quite a lot there, and there will be different things for for each of us. Um, who's seen Les Mis? Either the musical or the film, hands up. It's pretty good. I don't actually know how to pronounce the full title, Les Miserable. That's not right, is it? I really flunked French at school. Les Mis. And so um, both uh, me and Victoria there, my wife, uh, went to see the musical a few months ago. We don't see many musicals, and we're just, it's so good. Like, if you ever get a chance, go see it. Even the film's pretty good. But the story is, um, as some of you all know, is basically centers around this guy, Jean Valjean. I said his name right. And uh, Jean Valjean 
um, basically has had a really tough break. And I think it was something like he stole a loaf of bread because he was hungry. But basically, he goes put into prison for basically his whole life. It's totally unjust. And he's basically working as a slave. Um, Anyway, one day he's escaped. But he's had it said to him so often for his whole life, you're a slave, you're a thief, that that's really all he knows. And he has no chance of getting his life back on track. So he just really keeps being a thief. Then he's a, anyway, one day he's traveling and he comes to like a monastery place where there's a priest living and the priest accepts him in because he's a, he sees that he's weary and he's been traveling and he basically says, have a wash, have some food and have a bed for the night. And Jean Valjean gets up in the middle of the night and basically says, okay, I'm going to absolutely fleece this guy. And he goes in and he steals all the silver and valuable things from the monastery and puts it in his bag and heads out. Unfortunately for him, some police who are patrolling come across him and arrest him. And they recognize all the valuables and they say, this is from the monastery, this is the priest, we're going to march you right back there. So both in the film and in the musical, you see Jean Valjean being marched back in to the priest in the monastery. And the police, they start to sing now, which I'm not going to do. But basically they say, we found this guy, he stole your stuff. Uh, Basically, we're going to chuck him into prison for the rest of his life. And the priest says, oh, yes, yeah, I've, um, I gave him that stuff. And Jean Valjean is like, what? He, he stole it. He knows it did. But he says to the police officers, I gave him that stuff. And then there's this quite famous sung line where he picks up two candlesticks that are the most valuable bits that he left and said, you, would you leave the most valuable behind? And gives it to Jean Valjean. The police leave because he said he gave it to him. And Jean Valjean is there in front of the priest and he's just flabbergasted. I mean, he knew he was in the wrong there. And this priest basically just saved his skin. And the priest says to him, I want you to take all this silver, sell it, but you must use the money to become an honest man. And Jean Valjean, then I won't ruin the whole of Les Mis for you because it's about three hours long and it would take me a long time. But basically, he's the hero of the whole piece. But these is, um, I'm just going to read you his reaction from the priest. Yet, I'm not going to sing it. Yet, why did I allow that man to touch my soul and teach me love? He treated me like any other. He gave me his trust. He called me brother. My life he claims for God above. Can such things be? For I had come to hate this world, this world that always hated me. Take an eye for an eye. Turn your heart into stone. This is all I have lived for. This is all I have known. One word from him and I'd be back beneath the lash upon the rack. Instead, he offers me my freedom. My shame inside me like a knife. He told me that I have a soul. How does he know? What spirit comes to move my life? Is there another way to go? I am reaching, but I fall. And the night is closing in. And I stare into the void. 
into the whirlpool of my sin. I'll escape now from the world, from the world of Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean is nothing now. Another story must begin.